Welcome to Military Transition Wellness, the podcast exclusively for military transitioners. I'm your host, Michelle Seidling. It's a pleasure having you on the show today. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be informed as new episodes become available. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. As always, check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some resources as you begin your health journey. And today we have David Richards. David is an international best-selling author, life strategist, yoga instructor, can't wait to hear about that, and Marine Corps veteran. And he helps people become the best version of themselves. David, welcome to the podcast. Michelle, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk with you about uh, transitioning and everything else related to the military. Oh, fantastic. Well, to begin with, will you tell us about yourself? Tell us about your your experience, your your Marine Corps experience. Yeah, so... um, when you think about what small percentage of the population actually serves in the military, uh, I can only imagine there's even smaller percentage that was born in the military and then ended up serving in it too. So uh, my father was a career Marine, was in for 31 years, um, grew up all over the place. So up and down the East Coast and then three years in Japan when I was uh, 10, 11, 12 and 13. So uh, really tremendously impactful experience to go and live abroad in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and then come back to the U.S., where 99.5% of the population had not done what I had done, uh, and so that was fascinating. And, and really, not knowing what to do uh, once I got done with school, I joined the military because I knew it was familiar. I knew it. Uh, they helped pay for college, so I got a bachelor's degree. Joined the Marines and hadn't really grappled with the kind of the reality that I didn't like moving around. You know, I didn't, I didn't learn to appreciate the benefits of it. I resented always having to make new friends and start over. And then I curiously made that my profession. So I was doing that for a living. Um, and while I enjoyed it, at some point, I got to the realization that I, I want to do something else. And as terrifying as it was, uh, I wanted to see what the world away from the military is like, because I really had no exposure or experience to that whatsoever. Uh, so I made the decision in 2006 to get out, uh, jumped into yoga immediately upon getting out just by accident fell in love with it. And that has been a tremendous part of my practice. So I became a yoga instructor uh, 14 years ago. Uh, and then just got, uh, got to a place where I realized I wanted to tell more of my story. Wow. That is amazing. Now you are, you're a book author as well. Okay. What I am. I've, I've written two books, uh, Whiskey and Yoga about finding your purpose in life. Uh, and then the lighthouse keeper, a story of mind mastery. And I'm working on book number three right now. Ah, nice. Okay, so they're all yoga and mindfulness related. Um, certainly mindfulness related. The, the, the third one is a bit of a surprise. It's, it's going to be a love story, but uh, uh, it's, I didn't think I was going to go for that genre, but uh, I'm really excited to tell it. So it's going to be good. Okay. All right. I won't, uh, I won't make you uh, reveal any of the secrets <laughs> there yet. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just telling my subscribers to my uh, blog what, what it is right now. So um, I'm not going to share too much with you, but <laughs> oh, wonderful. Now tell us about what about your transition from military service when it came time to, okay, I want to go explore something else. How was that transition process? 
Yeah, it was it's it's really difficult because the military there are really two vehicles for transition. There's TAPS, which is the Transition Assistance Program, and that is run on base, and it's where they tell you the stuff that you are going to experience when you get out. But it's not a great way to prepare you. It just tells you this is the stuff you need to do, this is stuff you need to look out for, but it's not really kind of helping you transition into civilian life. It doesn't talk about the boundaries of civilian life compared with, you know, the austere kind of regulations and the tons of regulations and rules you have in military. And then there's recruiters, there's military companies, or there's recruiting companies that cater towards military. Certainly in my experience um, in recent years, the veteran awareness has, has really increased. And so companies are much more sensitive to looking at veterans and hiring veterans. Um, but 15 years ago, it wasn't as adept or as uh, well thought out as it is now. Uh, and so it's really, you know, I was an artillery officer and then I switched to communications about midway through my 15 year career. And, but at that point I wasn't learning the stuff. I wasn't learning like entry level networking. I was learning network management kind of stuff. And so it was a different perspective. And then I got another specialty about being like a staff planner. So kind of mastering or focusing on operations and strategy. And there is no good way to really understand how those skills translate to the civilian world. Because when you look at the civilian world, they're looking for managers or they're looking for architects or they're looking for program managers or project managers. And in IT, it's kind of easy because IT is hot. And if, if you're going to be a go-getter in the military and go get a Cisco certification, for example, you can instantly, once you get that certification, leave the military and make three or four times what you're making in the military. So it's an easy transition to make. As an officer, it wasn't that clear to me because I didn't know, I didn't speak civilian, quite frankly. And so that is a difficult adjustment to make because you're used to talking about platoons or units. And you're thinking in a way that a lot of companies don't necessarily think. And so you that's that's kind of the awkward part of making the transition. Well, how do I learn to speak civilian? Because I've especially coming out of the military as a kid and then joining the military, I spoke professional military pretty much my entire life. Mm. Okay. Now talk to us about the, the wellness fa- aspect of transition. Now what you mentioned as yeah. far as wanting, you know, deciding what career and speaking, speaking civilian. <laughs> and, uh, but now on the wellness aspect of it, what was that transition like for you? There, there wasn't, at least for me, there wasn't uh, a significant aspect to it. There wasn't anything about necessarily processing being in combat or processing losing people in combat or processing how you prepared to kill other people. There was, there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't just that that wasn't really there. And it was kind of, and I just, I don't really have a great memory of it, but that just suggests to me it wasn't evident, but there was no one saying, Hey, if you feel like this, you know, here's some resources you can talk to. And back then, and again, in 2006, I know from a military perspective, we had kind of gotten really sensitive early in probably 2003, 2004, to wounded people coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan and making sure that we supported them when they were in, you know, the, the medical hospitals outside of DC. That's where I was stationed at the time. Um, the, the, and I think there was a kind of awareness Oh my gosh, there's a psychological impact of doing this too and traumatic brain injury for people coming back and things like that. But getting out, it was, it felt pretty shallow in terms of here are resources you can look at or here are resources you can go to. I would say, and, and again, I don't want to, 
I don't want to whitewash the whole thing. I just don't have a great memory of that 15 years ago. But at best, it may have been, hey, the VA is an option. Like if you if you have something going on, go to the VA. Well, the VA is not the most efficient machine in, in my personal experience with it. And I would contend a lot of veterans might feel that way. It's a government bureaucracy and there's a design of what the government's meant to do. It's not necessarily about providing the best optimal health care for people. Mm, okay. So there were, from what I understand, it sounded like maybe there are a few resources from a mental health perspective, but in terms of wellness, you're basically on your own as far as, as you transition from military service. Yeah, I mean, there was, there, there was nothing about, you know, one of the things that, one of the big differences um, people should appreciate is in the military, you were told, certainly the Marines, you're a Marine 24 hours a day. And the basis for that is, you don't have to be in uniform to, to do something. Like if you do something stupid in uniform, it's one thing. If you do something stupid and you're not in uniform, it's not going to say David Richards did something stupid in the newspaper the next day. It's going to say, you know, this Marine did something. And that's a big deal because you have to think about how you act all the time. When you get out, there's a sense, well, you don't have to do that. You don't have, you get to be you 24 hours a day and you can show up however you want to show up. Well, there's no, hey, you know, go do healthy stuff. Like in the military, obviously there's a lot of physical exercise, there's nothing that says, you know what, think about having a physical routine when you get out. Go to a yoga class or go to a Pilates class because you're used to group formation exercises or going to the gym. But it's in some ways, and certainly for me, it was like, I can kind of do whatever I want. Okay. But there wasn't anything necessarily guiding you to, hey, here's some resources available. Like no one said yoga, no one said cycling or anything like that. It was more about preparing you to function without necessarily thinking about the quality of how you're functioning once you got out. Mm, okay. So, and now you basically had to create your own wellness, essentially. Sounds like we're not a whole lot of resources out there. So tell me, tell us about that process where you kind of found, found yoga, found mindfulness, found other aspects of wellness that were, that were helpful for you in transitioning. Well, one, one thing I'll say to go back to my time in Japan, um, being exposed to kind of Eastern philosophers for three years, I really got curious about meditation pretty early in life. And so I started reading books on Shambhala, this mystical Tibetan city, um, probably when I was 14. And so I would, I would try to meditate because I didn't really know what it meant, but it, like the books I was reading just said, take all the thoughts out of your mind. And so I tried to do that as a kid. And I was like, okay. And that was one thing I was able to take with me once I got into uniform was I remember being in Somalia and not having anything to do. We weren't on patrol. We weren't doing anything that day. And, but it's Somalia. So it's right off the equator. It's scorching hot and just trying to meditate to take my mind off the heat. And so I carried that with me. I wrote a little bit the later part of my career. Once I kind of felt like I could accept that I, I like writing was a passion of mine and I didn't have to give it up just because I was in the Marines. Um, and I, it may have actually happened the weekend. It may have been sequential, but I, I left active duty on a Friday. I got to my parents' house here in North Carolina on a Saturday or, or that, later that Friday. And either that night or the next day, I read a Sports Illustrated article about NFL players using yoga to strengthen their midsections. And I lift weights pretty regularly. And so I thought, okay, I'll try yoga and maybe that'll help me stretch and loosen things up for weightlifting. And so I went to my first class. And it was a gentle yoga class and gentle yoga just means there's not a lot of stress in the body. So you're not exerting yourself really. And I thought, okay, this is pretty kind of lame because 
I didn't really sweat. I'm not sure what I was like. I'm not sure what was supposed to happen. Uh, but I figured I'd give it another shot. So I went to another class two days later, different instructor, different style yoga. We're probably 30, 40 minutes in and I am drenched in sweat from moving my body around. And I'm like, what is happening? This is insane. I don't get what's happening. And then we do Shavasana at the end. If you've never taken a yoga class, Shavasana is just where you lie still on the ground on your mat. And it's not really a meditative state, but you just kind of are, you're just there. And that was such a sublime feeling for me. And I was like, what, what just happened? Like, what was that? And so I started listening to the yoga teachers when they spoke and it was all about well, being present, like present. I was like, you can be present. Like it, it, it's just, I didn't even know what that really meant. I never really thought about being present as something that you could aspire to, or even something that you necessarily had to be aware of. And I started to kind of get addicted to that. I was like, okay. And so within a few months, I knew I wanted to be a yoga instructor, uh, probably six, probably six months after, uh, probably about a, almost a year after my first class is when I got uh, certified as an instructor. And, and then it was just, okay, what is this, what is this being present and, and how do I get there? And so that was just taking yoga classes. And that was, that was the biggest thing that really I looked at from a wellness perspective was my body was in pretty good shape. Um, emotionally, I was wherever I was, you know, trying to make a transition from a life that I'd known for 30 something years to a life I really had no conception of. Um, but mentally that was, that was where yoga kind of tapped into not just the mental aspect, but also the spiritual aspect. Mm, okay. So that kind of yoga and mindfulness, that kind of bridge the gap, it sounds like between, yeah. you know, between the Marine, sir, your Marine career, and then the all the unknowns of of getting out of the military absolutely oh, fantastic oh now you mentioned you focus a lot on mindfulness that's kind of your your main your main area will you tell us a little bit about that and you know some what are some key aspects of mindfulness that are important to to anyone transitioning yeah so the Certainly transitioning, you are between going to boot camp or going to officer candidate school, all the different iterations of that. In the military, you're trained to put others before yourself. And that's the whole that's the whole point, right? Is there's always something worth sacrificing for and there's something bigger than yourself to aspire to or to commit to. And getting out, it's almost the reverse getting out, you have to kind of fend for yourself. Like you got, like, no one's going to like, whatever you got in the military, no one's handing that stuff out. You have to go find it. You have to go produce it and create it yourself. And that in some ways takes a different muscle. Like that is a different muscle to stretch. Mindfulness for me, you know, the biggest way I explain mindfulness to people is pattern, pattern interrupts. And what, what you realize as you go through life is you create patterns, your patterns create habits, and you have this system of how you get through life. And it could be something as simple as whenever you have a rough day, you go home and you drink two beers, or it could be whenever, you know, somebody says something to you, it triggers you to respond a certain way. And mindfulness is really about, you have a choice. You have absolute choice and control over how you respond to a situation. You may think that you don't, you may believe that you don't, but you absolutely do. And when you get to a mindful place in a present place, what you realize is when you hear something that someone says to you that previously would have triggered you, 
you realize it's saying something about them. It's not saying something about you. And so when you create that mindfulness in that space, you get to choose how you respond to that. And that's really the beauty of what yoga has taught me is I get a choice to how I respond to situations, how I respond to people, how I even respond to myself. And realizing that after growing up in a culture where you didn't really have choices sometimes and your choices in some cases were made by other people, whether it was sending you into harm's way or telling you where you're going to move, you do have a choice. And so, so that's the biggest thing to take away is mindfulness is a gateway for you to discover and fulfill your true self. Mm, I, I love that. I love just as far as, you know, you, you're making, you're deciding how to act or react and, and so forth. Now, now looking back through your, your Marine career, how helpful would mindfulness have been if you had known? I don't know. It's kind of maybe water under the bridge, but you know, as far as you know, is that something that um, may you know is helpful in in those types of circumstances as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And for me, that was one of the biggest takeaways I took from my time in Japan as a kid. Was you know, I mean, as a kid, especially as a guy, I was kind of enamored with samurai. I mean. They, they look so much different from our civil war people. Like they didn't, I mean, they had helmets and like wild ornamentation and masks and they fought with swords and, and like Americans, we have no sword culture. Like we didn't fight with swords really because we already had pistols by the time everything that came over. Or at least I, I don't remember any great American duels with swords or, or wars with them anyway, but there's this code that samurai live by and this, this Bushido code. And it was really, so beautifully expressed in the idea and the ideal of a samurai. And I took that into my military career and it wasn't always easy. Sometimes it manifests itself as writing poetry. Nobody else that I served with wrote poetry. And when I, like when people found out about it, they're like, are you gay? I'm like, no, just like, <laughs> I like to express myself in poetry. Like I can see something. I'm like, I want to write a poem about that. Doesn't have anything to do with my sexuality. Um, so, you know, in some sense, it was it was cool because I finally kind of established myself that, hey, this is who I am. I'm not going to do or say the things that everybody else is going to say because I have this deeper sense within me that I'm trying to nurture and I can do that in the military, but it means I'm also going to write and do things like that. And, and eventually, I mean, it was easy. I, like, I, I got accepted, but I also always appreciated that I was somewhat out of place. Uh, in some ways, because there just wasn't a lot of people to talk about poetry with in the military. And, and that, and yet that was my community too. So. Mm, okay. So you had that additional piece that, that helped you in that aspect as well. For sure. So absolutely. That's fantastic. Now um, you mentioned uh, as far as having, you're, you're creating the best version of yourself and you talk a lot about vision and things of that nature. Will you kind of, kind of share with us a little bit about as, as people transition from military service, how do they create the best version of themselves? Yeah. So the easiest thing to start with is um, something I picked up from Tony Robbins and it's the wheel of life. And it's basically that if you just imagine a wheel and could have, or a pizza pie, if you're a visual learner, imagine a, a pizza pie in front of you uh, on a piece of paper. And each slice of the pizza is a different aspect of your life. So it could be financial, it could be family, it could be relationship, it could be social, fitness, mental well being. And 
do an assessment on a scale of one to 10 on where you think you are in your life right now, based on where you want to be. And what you'll find is most people, when they do that, their wheel is clunky. You may be a four in one category and you could be a seven in another category. Well, we all want to, ideally, I believe, we all want to aspire to getting a 10 so that we have a nice smooth wheel, but do that in every facet of our life. Well, how do you do that? It takes time. It takes focus. But the crazy part is it's all up to you. No one, I mean, you can certainly learn from tools and I've, I've done tremendous, I've read tons of books. I've been, I'm doing a Tony Robbins event this coming weekend, in fact, but you have to do the work. And that's the cool part that I kind of took away from getting out of the military was, oh my gosh, I can absolutely create my own life. I can create, I can get, I can dream it as big as I can imagine. And then it's just a question, okay, who do I need to be to accomplish that dream? And once I kind of connect those two pieces, what happens is this magical thing is that I get really clear on what I need to do to become that version of myself. And what I mean by that is if I have this idea that I'm going to run the New York marathon, for example, or I want to finish first in the marathon, um, person who does that, I'm going to surmise probably doesn't drink beer or alcohol. Not very much. I mean, it's just those two don't seem conducive when you know alcohol inhibits oxygen absorption through the body, the other effects of alcohol. So if I'm a drinker, and suddenly I say, you know what, I am compelled. I have this dying urge or this unfettered desire to run and finish first in the New York City Marathon. I'm stopping drinking. Okay, it's easy to do because you realize to get one, I have to give up the other. And most people where I think are challenged sometimes in their lives is they have a vision of who they want to be, but it's not big enough to compel them to leave who they are. And so we don't like to be uncomfortable, which is why we stay comfortable with things around us until if we have a destructive or unhealthy pattern of behavior in our life, it gets so small that we kind of scrunch ourselves in and then something breaks and we have a breakthrough and then we'll change. But if you can find something that you care enough about, that you're passionate about, that you're driven enough to find, then you're going to be like, okay, I will do whatever it takes to become that version of myself. I don't care if I have to you know, downsize my house. I don't care if I sell my car. I will do whatever it takes to do that because that person excites me and I know I can do it. Mm, okay. So how was your creation, I guess you'd call it, of as you've created the best version of yourself? Or maybe that's just a hard question. <laughs> um, how well, so is if the question is how have I created that version of myself? It's getting an ultimate purpose for your life, an ultimate vision for your life. And once those, you get those two things, you get really clear on what you need in your life and what's no longer serving you in your life. Mm-hmm. And for me, that has been, that's helped me get clear on my eating habits. I started working with a nutritionist five months ago. I wasn't planning on it, but lost 15 pounds, more energy than I've ever had in my life. My workouts are getting stronger. My focus is off the, you know, off the charts. And plus, I, I never appreciated how much I would enjoy cooking my own food. So it's this tremendously empowering thing where I'm eating all natural ingredients, you know, some, some protein powders, but lots of vegetables, lots of fruit, and never thought that I could look or feel this good at this point in my life. Um, but that's all connected to this vision and the purpose of where I'm going. And doing that means that, yeah, I don't go out on weekends and drink. That, that has no interest for me. I, I, don't need, like, I don't need alcohol. It doesn't provide me a service or anything. I go out and I work out. I go out and watch movies with friends. I do things to feed my mind, nourish my soul, um, as opposed to providing me comfort and keeping me held back in some way. 
Mm, okay. Now, kind of reflecting back from when you transitioned from the military, how did you have that any vision or were you focused on creating the best version of yourself or did it take a little bit of time before you you really recalibrated, so to speak? Yeah, I had um, no idea. No idea. And it was, and, and again, it was, I was entering a world that I had no exposure to, uh, limited exposure. I was a consumer. So I would go to gas, you know, I'd go to Walmarts, I'd go to movies, but in terms of business, in terms of living in civilian civilian world, I had no idea. And so honestly, for the first five or six years, it was just like, okay, what did I learn this week? And how's that different from what I learned in the military? And it was kind of this process of sorting stuff out and getting to realize that people aren't always out for the team effort. Some people are out for themselves. Some people are great team players. Some people aren't good team players. And so there was a lot of sort of this translation during my transition to understand things. And then after maybe six years, I stopped doing that. Uh, I started to get back into writing and the idea of, of uh, pursuing my writing career again. Um, but it was, it was it, it, for my transition, it was more about learning what it meant to be not associated with the military. And that was, and for me, that's why it kind of slowed up my vision looking um, and, you know, part of that was doing the yoga and kind of understanding what it meant to be a yoga instructor and what that journey is meant to be. And, um, you hear people say in the community that you're not kind of considered a guru until you've done yoga for 12 years and you don't really understand when you're five or six years in what that means. And then you get to 13 or 14 years and you're like, okay, you know, I understand it takes time to really kind of get to that place. Um, so for me, the transition was, was understanding a world that I had very little exposure to. And really it wasn't until... I read in, in late 2016, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, and the first or second uh, chapter of that book, which I recommend to everyone, he asks you, what is your purpose in life? And Michelle, like, I never, never thought my life had a purpose. Never thought. It. I just, and I was stunned. I remember I read that. And I was like, what? What did this man just say? That's incredible. And I grabbed a notebook and I wrote a purpose. I'm like, I purpose statement. And, uh, and that's what inspired me to write my first book. And it was like, holy smokes, that is so cool. And, and that was, that opened up the vision and purpose part of my life. And it was like, oh my gosh, wait, I can do some architecting here myself. No one told me that before. That's pretty cool. And that, you know, that springs up this well of energy, this well of curiosity, and even kind of the well of possibility, like what, okay, how big can I make a dream? Like, and, and if I can visualize it, I know I can do it. I can achieve it. All right. Well, let me let me get really creative then and start thinking, thinking through some ideas. So that was like that was a super exciting point. But absolutely, it took some time. There was certainly a journey, and it wasn't always clear to me that I was going to get there. But that's the persistence of pursuing something. Mm, absolutely. Now that's I don't know. In a way, it's kind of surprising because thinking all of your your years of Marine service, you're traveling the world, you're having all these different experiences but yet you didn't feel like you had a purpose in life. And that's yeah. kind of, kind of a little, uh, I don't know if it's, is that a catch 22? Maybe not. I don't um, well, I, th I think when you, I mean, the reality is when you serve, what are you really doing? You're taking an oath to defend the country, but you're also, you're taking an oath before God. And that's, you know, very few people in the world do that. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. So, you you realize that 
your life isn't necessarily in your own hands. So your purpose is to some extent governed by the actions of others. You know, I didn't choose to go to Somalia. I was told you're going to go there. I didn't choose to do the things that I did there, but basically those are the things I had to do. And certainly I made some choices, obviously, but, but from that bigger architect motion of serving something and being in the military, yeah, the, the purpose is whatever you're told you have to accomplish and your ability to accomplish it. Um, but that is again about something larger than yourself. And so kind of making the transition to realizing, wow, the individual is just as important as the unit. In some way it's more important because the stronger the individual, the more they can bring to the unit. It was a different way to kind of cultivate a mindset that I think has made its way into the military some because I know there's more yoga instruction taking place. I've participated in classes where um, active duty military have come in to learn how to teach certain types of yoga so they can go back to the units and teach it. Uh, but it's absolutely, it's a process and a journey for sure. Okay. Wow. Yes, absolutely. That's just, uh, that's really, that's interesting that because you, you just have a different, um, your focus, it sounds like, it just shifts a little bit. You're more in the, okay, you're telling me to go to this area or, or do this versus, hey, I get to make the decision. I get to decide what I'm going to do with my life, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, I would say that's true for everybody in the military. I mean, you can't, you can't serve in the military with selfish intentions because if you do, the unit breaks down. But more realistically, if you do, people are going to recognize it. And they're like, well, <laughs> that's not the kind of person you need in the military because you need someone who is willing to serve something larger than themselves. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the biggest difference, I think, between being in the civilian world and being in the military. Is in the military, you are committed to serving something besides yourself. Mm, absolutely. Um, now, with, um, do, is there anything from a wellness perspective that you wish you knew back when you transitioned out? If you could look back on your former self, I guess, versus your, uh, your, your current and or future self. I, I certainly wish there had been an easier way to talk about transitioning because I felt like at the time, a lot of it was kind of trying to move furniture in the dark. Mm. And even at, you know, even working for a, a, an amazing company, but getting out of the time, they didn't have a robust veteran support program. It's, it's certainly grown over the time. I had the opportunity to lead it nationally a few years back. Um, but those things were kind of rudimentary early on. And that was because there's a there's sort of a trickle effect when you have a, a conflict like we did in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then you start having casualties and people start coming out. Well, initially that may only be tens or twenties of people who are forced out because of what happened. They can't continue to serve. And so it's very easy in a country of 350 million people for those tens and twenties to get lost as the wars evolve and shift and either more people are getting off active duty sooner because of drawdowns or because of injuries, then there's a raising of the awareness, kind of the consciousness of the country that, oh my gosh, these are people that we may not have directly sent to war, but we certainly supported them going over there. And now there's a responsibility we have to help them come back from what they experienced and be effective in contributing members of society. And to see how that's evolved certainly over the last you know, 14 to 15 years has really been admirable because it is hard to quantify some of that stuff. It is, it's, 
you know, the military is such a unique environment in that you are held to the highest standards and you are asked to do some of the most awful things you can do to some, you know, potentially someone else. And that is, there's, it's hard to quantify the tax that a human bears in upholding that responsibility. And it's something that I think collectively, you know, certainly not just as a country, but as a, as a people on the planet, we need to look at that more, more holistically. What is the impact of this incredibly small amount of the population of the planet overall who is asked to uphold and defend our, our fellow countrymen wherever you live? And at the same time, if it comes down to it, be as savage as possible in preventing someone from taking one of your countrymen's lives. Mm-hmm. Hi. That's really a, it's really a, a mental shift as well as yep. a as a you know other directions of wholeness. Oh, fantastic! Now, what are some things that for those who are are just now transitioning from military service or thinking about it? What yep. are some things from a wellness perspective that they should keep in mind? Well, the, the great thing is I feel like there's so many more resources out there. Um, the cool thing is that it's, it's really, you know, the sky's kind of the limit. I mean, it could be anything from as simple as just getting massage work done, like to kind of loosening up this tension of carrying combat or carrying 50 or 60 pounds of stuff on your back for weeks on end. Um, but don't be afraid to explore that because there's so much available. I just, just this past week, there's a, a great little, um, company here in, in Raleigh, <clears throat> there's one location, I think the founder one is in California, but it's called Happy Whole You. And they practice holistic healing that deals more with energy. And so they've got a Tesla coil, which is, if you don't know who Tesla is, he's worth looking up, but there is, they have red light therapy, they have infrared saunas, and this stuff sounds space-aged or, or weird, but you kind of have to realize you are energy, like you are we all live in physical bodies. We feel the physical body, but it's all made of atoms. They're all vibrating at a certain frequency because that's all that matter is. And, and so there's tons of resources. It could be doing something like that. It could be going to do yoga. It could just be going to groups. And certainly companies now uh, have gotten much more sensitive and appreciative of the veteran service to the country. And they have, you know, we have a great veterans group at the company I work with and they meet regularly. Sometimes they have, they get together for you know beer drinking sessions and it's just to unwind. I completely respect and appreciate that's where, where people are in their lives. If, uh, you know, if, if alcohol is a big deal, if it's not a big deal, but it's, there's such a greater awareness now to helping people in that transition. And there's enough veterans who have made the transition now that they can also sort of catch people. And so one of the things, if you, if you make the transition out and you go to a company, see what kind of veterans program they have, see what kind of veteran support program they have. If you go to the company, they don't have one. If there are other veterans, you know, go to someone and say, let's stand one up. Um, but, but I would say get creative and don't be willing to, or don't be afraid to explore and do something that you wouldn't normally ordinarily do because I never, I, I don't even think I even knew what a yoga class was while I was on active duty. <laughs> I'm quite sure that I never physically saw a studio. It just did not register in my brain. That's fantastic. So you know, be be curious about who you can be, and uh, and kind of just go where your instinct tells you to go. Fantastic. I love that. Just really focusing from a mindfulness perspective, and and deciding now to 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 kind of recalibrate yourself. Fantastic. Yep. Well, David, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah. So davidrichardsauthor.com. You can go there to subscribe to my blog, or my books are available there. They're also available on Amazon. 
Uh, I'm on David Richards author for Instagram and David Richards A2 on Twitter. Fantastic. We will include all of those in the show notes. David, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing transition to hear your transition. And we certainly hope that that's something I'm sure has resonated with your journey to help others in their, their transition from a wellness perspective. So thank you so much, David. Michelle, thank you for having me on and thank you for doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it.